You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another emergency POD cast. We are really cranking these out. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you did it from the jump, huh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, my name's Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor and the interim coach of this POD cast. With me is Ryan Matthews. Ryan, how are you doing this afternoon? I think I'm wearing the same clothes that I've been wearing for the past three days. I'm not entirely sure, but... It's just been a, it's been a, it's been a 72 hours for myself, but also for the Detroit Lions. A lot of people are, are realizing now that the, a lot of people are working from home that you can wear the same clothes more than one day in a row. And it's, it's probably resulting in a lot of unhygienic things, but as long as you're staying inside in the, in the confines of your own home, I say, go for it. But wash your yeah. hands. Go wash your hands. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, you, you led me right into a segue into Lions talk and I didn't take it. So I'm just going to go right into it. Um, this is going to be a very special emergency POD cast where we just talk about the Desmond Trufant signing and the subsequent Dairy Slate trade. Um, at the top here, we're going to talk about the football stuff. In the second segment, we're going to talk about the other stuff that happened after the trade. Um, I'm guessing a lot of you might not want to hear that part, but stick around if you can. If not, um, we're, we're doing the football stuff at top just for you. So um, let's start with the Trufant signing. Um, Ryan, what was your initial reaction to the Trufant signing, not paying attention to the implications of what it meant for Darius Lay? Sure. I think my initial reaction to the Desmond Trufant signing was, this is the player that's going to replace Darius Slay. I think <laughs> yeah. that that was the first thing that came to mind. This saga had been going on for so long with Darius Slay, whether or not the team was going to trade him at some point in time, whether or not they were going to get a long-term deal with him done in place seemed like for part of the offseason, at least that seemed like some sense of optimism existed there. But ultimately, for as far into the process that they got, when they signed a guy like Trufant, I think that immediately you know, lit up the light bulb in my head that said, okay, Darius Lay is getting traded. It's just a matter of time now. Yeah, and I think I had kind of fallen into the trap. I mean, if you guys listen to the earlier podcasts in the week, I think I even said I'm I'm getting a little bit more and more optimistic that Darius Slate could sl- could stay because the cornerback market was going so slow and it didn't look like the lines were being very active in it. But when you sign Desmond Trufant to a two-year, twenty-one million dollar deal, you know, ten and a half uh, per year, and you're not willing to give Darius Slate sixteen, seventeen million, it's a pretty good sign that either they're going to hold Darius Slay hostage for a year or he's on the way out very quickly. And it turned out he was out the door very quickly. But let's talk about Trufant the player a little bit because it's kind of an interesting scenario in that he came from the same draft class as Darius Slay. He got drafted before Darius Slay. Um, early in his career, I would say Trufant probably had a hotter start and maybe looked like the the better 
corner at the time through three years. I think he let he was third in the NFL in, in pass breakups. Then obviously the tide shifted a little bit more towards Darius Slay. And I think we can all agree that Darius Slay is the more talented cornerback at this point in each career, even though Slay is coming off a quote unquote bad year. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but but what are your what's your confidence level in Trufant as a number one corner and and putting aside the fact that he's a, a downgrade from Slay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have optimism that Desmond Trufant could be a number one corner at least for another season. Mm-hmm. I think that if you want to point to him being plagued by injuries, yes, injuries have been a concern in his career. It shortened both his 2015, his 2016, and most recently his 2019 season. But I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily say he's like injury prone per se, because he, while he has missed time, he's only missed extended time in in two seasons. 2015 was just, um, was just a game or two, I think. But the the thing about Trufant and why I'm optimistic about him coming in and immediately filling the role for this Matt Patricia defense is that he does things that Matt Patricia really values. One, he's a really good run defender. Two, he can play press man coverage. So those are the two things that are immediately going to get checked off the board. He's a will, he's an active and willing tackler. I think everybody has the opportunity now to go watch film. So it'd be a good, good chance for you to go and, and see some Desmond Trufant film for yourself. But the guy is a, he's graded, you know, aside from last year for his entire career as one of the better run defenders, one of the better tacklers at the cornerback position. And that's something that we've come to know that Matt Patricia really values out of his cornerbacks. So Knowing that tackles in his rookie year, by the way. Yeah. And I I mean, take tackles for whatever kind of measure you want. At least it shows you that the guy is like willing to be a tackler. He's not, you know, he's, he's, he's not guarding his shoulders and making business decisions. But um, I I, I think Trufant fits the mold of what they want out of a CB one. I think what it really does is it affords them the opportunity to draft Jeffrey Okuda at three, because I think that with, with the only scenario of which Chase Young falling to three, I say they maybe entertain the thought of taking Chase Young, but I truly think that Jeffrey Okuda is the pick at three. And I think what Desmond Trufant allows you the ability to do is kind of ease him into his transition into the NFL. He doesn't have to be baptism by fire necessarily because you do have some other players. You have Justin Coleman. You have Amani Orarie, who at least you know has some playing time in the NFL. This can be something that Okuda has some safety nets in place. So that he's not, as I said, baptism by fire. Yeah, and and I think it's also important to point out that Desmond Trufant's coming off a four-interception season in which he sat for half the year due to injury. Set a career high in interceptions in nine games with four. And so the Lions still are going to have that playmaker in their secondary that they need. Um, So I'm with you. I think this is good signing. I think this is a good way to mitigate the damage of a Darius Slay trade. I think the value is pretty much there. Um, ten, ten and a half million is a lot for Truf- Trufant, who's you know also 29, um, yeah. like Slay. So, was it 14 million guaranteed? <clears throat> Something like that. But yeah. it's only a two-year deal. So you're not stretching this out where you know Darius Slay's deal with Philly now stretches four years into the future because it was a three-year extension that they gave him mm-hmm. at, what was it, $16.6 million or whatever it is? Yes. Yep. So you, you do have to kind of ask yourself, <clears throat> would you rather have Desmond Trufant for two years at 10.5 or Darius Slay for four um, at 16.7? And I know if you include this year, it's, it averages a little less than 16.7 for, for Darius Slay. But 
it's not as easy as a decision as I think it's it's made out to be. I think it's a tough one. And this is why when I go back to the Darius Slay stuff and, and some of my older takes on it, which was mainly they should have made a decision last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they, maybe they could have gotten Darius Slay for cheaper. Maybe they couldn't have. Um, but at this point, I think it's almost the more smart economical move to, to have Trufant. And, and <clears throat> before everyone gets mad and say, why? Would, so you're advocating for Darius Slay. I'm not necessarily advocating for Darius Slay trade. But I'm saying when you look at it kind of objectively, you can at least see where the lines are coming from here. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And in an economic sense, I think that everybody would take the Trufant deal over the Slay deal because A, it doesn't lock you up, as you said, four years into the future. And B, it's just cheaper. It's $10.5 million per season versus you know the 16-some-odd million dollars a year it is for Darius Slay. So from an economic standpoint, yes. From a talent standpoint, if I'm Bob Quinn and I'm building a roster and I know that Darius Slay doesn't want to be a part of this team, which we'll get to in the second segment, this is the this is probably one of the best possible scenarios that could have played out for the Detroit Lions. Aside from signing Byron Jones, I think if you would have got a top-tier corner in the prime of his career, I think that that helps you more immediately. And then it's also a team-building block. But getting Trufant was probably the best they could have done because as much as I was an advocate for Chris Harris Jr., he's a better slot corner. And we didn't really like what we saw out of Justin Coleman when he did that in in spot start duty. And beyond that, I mean, a lot of the other corners kind of got picked off the market. So Trufant was, I think, a really good consolation prize for Bob Quinn in the now and if there's a Bob Quinn in the future, I think it I think it benefits his his team building. And you, you kind of make it kind of makes you wonder if like this was just kind of a gift that fell into Bob Quinn's left as as kind of like an exit strategy for Darius Slay because remember Desmond Trufant was a cut. He was cut mm-hmm. last week, and yeah. it wasn't an easy cut either. the 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 Falcons are taking on over ten million, I think, in dead money. Yeah, so, a lot of money. Um, yeah. It was it was not necessarily that was something that was guaranteed to happen unless they you know they had some sort of inside sources that they knew it was going to happen. Um, if you believe the lines at the word, I uh, maybe they were still considering keeping Slay for a year. Maybe they were still considering extending him. Um, you know, at the at the uh, at the combine, they said they were exploring all their options. So um, this was maybe some of the exploration, and and then when it happened, they pulled the trigger. So um, it, it was kind of a, a convenient out for the Lions. And I also want to talk about the the trade compensation because, like I said, one of my biggest uh, comments about this whole situation was that they didn't do they didn't make a decision earlier. And to me, if mm-hmm. they knew Slay was headed in this direction, they should have traded him at the de- at the deadline because you would have found a more yeah. team desperate to to pay more and all that sort of stuff. But when I look at what the Lions got, a third and a fifth, I'm not too sure they could have gotten anything more at the deadline. You know, they they did shop him at the deadline, and we heard all those reports that the lines were being stingy. The lines weren't going to let him go unless they were blown away with the deal. My guess is that blown away was at worst a second round pick, and obviously lines didn't get it. And so a third and a fifth, I think that's actually pretty good compensation, whether it happened now or at the trade deadline. I, I probably would have been mad at it at the trade deadline. But seeing mm-hmm. as how everything played out, seeing as how he only had one year left in his career, seeing as how the relationship had clearly soured, a third and a fifth, I think, is actually 
about what the Lions were, were should have gotten, and and they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's fair compensation. I think what moved the field goal post to borrow a football analogy for a football podcast real quick is the Jalen Ramsey deal. And I know that there, there's kind of like a false equivalency there with like Darius Slay is definitely not Jalen Ramsey, especially at the points in their career in which they were in. Now, when you're trading to get Jalen Ramsey, you're also trading for the contract that you're going to have to give them if you're the Rams. But to see that kind of compensation trade hands for a guy that's just considered an elite corner, I think a lot of people immediately said, well, then the Lions should get at least a first round pick. Because look at the spoil of riches the Rams just gave up to get to get Ramsey. So I think as the market kind of changed the fluidity of a little bit, I, I don't know if they could have done better at the trade deadline. If you remember that Ramsey deal happened pretty early in the season. So yeah. um, the, the one other thing that I want to bring up about the compensation is I think that getting a third and a fifth, especially after and talking about the fluidity of the situation, you saw Bouye go for a fourth. Right. I think getting a third and then that additional fifth round pick, I, I, I think, like I said, that that's fair compensation for what Darius Slay was going to get in, in in any trade. Yeah. And, you know, you, you kind of look at the way everything has ended and it, it's not great. And emotionally it sucks as Lions fan because Darius Slay was not only a good player on the field, but one of the most entertaining players the Lions have ever had. Um, and it's just kind of a a character suck out of the locker room. It seems that every player that fans begin to fall in love with go away quite quickly. Whether it's, I mean, I I put it out here, and some people didn't think it was fair to lump Canard in there, but Canard was one of the most liked players in the locker room and outside the locker room. He's a very easy guy to like. He's a very charitable. Per, per, charitable person as was Darius Slay. I think that's important to point out too, how much he loved the city. He would go to local basketball games and, and, you know, meet high school kids and make their days. And, you know, he, he did a lot of little things that, that endeared him to the city. And that's something. And I think that's the reason why viscerally I hate the trade. I hate it because he was so much fun and the lines haven't been fun in a long time. And he's the one one guy who still makes it fun every now and then. He's still the one that will pick off Philip Rivers to win a game and, and wag his finger or go on social media and stunt and whatever. Like this game needs to be fun for fans. And the lines are not making it very fun right now. Not only because they're losing, but because they're sucking the character out of the team. And I know ultimately wins will carry over everything. And if the team wins and everyone's having fun, but that hasn't come yet. It hasn't come close to happening yet. So when you suck out the, the guys that make this fun for fans that, that, that keep us coming back to games despite the fact that they're not winning, when you take that away, it's hard to follow this team. It's hard to get motivated for next season. It's hard to look at anything about the future of this team and be like, okay, I'm excited for the 2020 season. And that's a hard... For, for someone whose livelihood depends on that excitement, that yeah. sucks. I hate the trade. Of course I hate the trade. <laughs> yeah, I, all all great points you make, and I, I think the two things you look at high character guys like Devon Kennard, Darius Slay, and also I mean we could talk about Quandre Diggs too if you want to go back even sure. further. But Devon Kennard was a guy who was like up for Walter Payton, you know, man sportsmanship of the, of the year, man of the year. So I mean, one of the great sportsmen, obviously a guy who carried himself very highly and was always reaching out to players like on social media and congratulating them and 
and, and kind of picking them up all the time and truly like the essence of a team captain. And then I think a lot of people are flipping their view of Darius Slay because of how ugly this marriage is ending between the Lions and Darius Slay. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because I think it's discrediting all of the incredible moments and just the incredible transparency that he provides. So like, yeah. I think a lot of his entertainment value as a, as a football player is that transparency he has. He's a Twitch streamer. He, you know, would routinely like celebrate in really fun ways. Like, I mean, he had the call of duty celebration that he did right. the one year. Um, Remember when he showed up to that kid's graduation party? Just showed up. Just showed up. Just like I mean, a guy throws a Hail Mary out on Twitter. Hey, you want to come to my graduation party? It's going to be late. He's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> like that. That's all. I mean, that's that's fantastic stuff. I mean, chirping Mitch Trubisky after he gets drafted. <laughs> yeah. I, Hell yeah. Though Those are the kind of players that I also want too, because I don't see how his, I don't see how his personality is a detriment to the team. And we're going to get more, more into that. But I, I, I do want to say that it does make this team very hard to follow when you get rid of high quality character, entertaining players, because then you're left with just a football game and I can watch just a football game anywhere. Right. Like, I mean, not right now, <laughs> obviously, but I mean, there's game pass. Free for everybody. Yeah. yeah, there's um there's opportunities to kind of take your attention elsewhere, and I think that that's a huge it's a huge bummer about the Darius Slay trade because you're seeing one of the most entertaining lions ever, 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 ever leave the team in the prime of his career. Yep, and we'll get more into why that happened when we come back. We're going to talk about some of the things Darius Slay on, said on his way out, some of the allegations he made about the head coach and talk about what that means for the team going forward. So stick around. We will be right back. Welcome back to the emergency Darius Slay trade POD cast, we're cranking along right here. Um, let's just get into it. Let's talk about um, the comments that Darius Slay made after the trade. Um, first, he went on WJR, talked about how he had lost respect for Matt Patricia after his first year. There was, a, you know, there was one contention where he was doing his offseason workouts with the likes of Akib Talib and Richard Sherman, and apparently Matt Patricia responded to that by saying those guys are elite. You're not elite. You're, you're only good. You shouldn't be doing that. I think he even accused him of potentially giving away secrets um, about the team. Whereas slaves just, I'm just hanging out with my dudes trying to get better. Um, things took a significant turn for the worse as the night went on, as he talked to both ESPN and the Detroit free press and told a very troubling story, in my opinion, um, about, his first Matt Patricia's first year in which he in Darius's mind humiliated him in a, in front of a team meeting after slay put an Instagram post about a wide receiver um, from another team who I guess had beaten him on a couple routes or whatever. Um, Matt Patricia said in more or less words, I don't want to see you on social media sucking another player's privates. And obviously that was something that affected Darius slay quite a bit in that he still remembers it in, in a sense that it never his while he admits 
Patricia got better in his second year. Um, it fractured his relationship with him to a point where he didn't see himself being able to play with him anymore. Um, he very clearly wanted out once the Trufant thing happened. It probably had been lingering for a lot longer than that. Um, Ryan, I'm probably about to go on a big rant, but I'm going to allow you to have the first word here because I need to gather my thoughts before I get into this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, my first thoughts were, I can't believe that there is something that came out this week that's even within the same universe as what Bill O'Brien was accused of saying to DeAndre Hopkins. And then all of a sudden, here's Matt Patricia being accused of making comments that I think are just as inflammatory, just as demeaning, just as just as wrong on so many levels. Uh, and it's upsetting. And I think the divide, the, the kind of line that a lot of Lions fans are drawing in the sand, at least on Twitter. And I mean, I said it and I always have a really hard time thinking this, but asking for someone's livelihood is a really, that's a really serious thing to to do. And I just don't think Matt Patricia is equipped to be a leader. I don't think he's equipped to be a head coach um, in the NFL. And I really don't think he's equipped, as I said, to be a leader of men in general, but there are so many people in that line in the sand that I'm talking about is there are so many people who say, well, my football head coach in high school or my football coach in college or this, that, or the other thing, or even people who hadn't even played football, but just want to take it as this is how you motivate people say that sometimes these tactics are effective. That doesn't make them, that doesn't make them acceptable. And I think that's the most troubling thing in this is that people, I think people are looking at this and maybe they're not understanding first and foremost, the breadth of it all. Like I, the, the first comments that came up were the comments about him not being elite, just being a good player. Right. Can I see that as being a type of motivating tactic? Like clearly it was, but I think the other thing too is like, he didn't like attack his character or he didn't make any like homophobic, you know, jabs at necessarily him. unprofessional. Exactly. It didn't necessarily cross an unprofessional line. It didn't cross an unprofessional line. I don't really have a huge problem with him making a comment like that to Darius Slay. Now, do I think that would be an effective motivating tactic? Probably not, especially for a guy who like has the track record of being elite, but. I, and is going to that that meeting to be elite. Like what's the harm, even if he's going to these things like that, his purpose, that his purpose of doing those things are completely benevolent. He's trying to do it to become a better player. And and the fact that he's able to get the company of some elite players should make you happy as a head coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, I think there are differences between these comments. The, the, the latter comment that we've talked about that he made in the, in the film session with him, I think that's something that's just so completely unacceptable. And I think that that's where a lot of Lions fans are saying that, well, Slay has this ego and he's saying all this stuff, uh, you know, his way out the door. Why would he say this stuff while he's in house? Isn't it a testament to his character that he didn't? That he decided, hey, I don't want to blow things up while I'm still here. And and I I know maybe blowing stuff on, on your way out, maybe maybe not the best look for Darius Slay. But the fact that he was able to keep it under wraps for two years, I think speaks better about him. 
I, I think it speaks volumes to his ability to to compartmentalize. Because the other thing that was really interesting about that story was, and this is something that the Lions are going to struggle with right now, but like veteran leadership. Because, you know, Slay said it was Glover Quinn who kind of pulled him aside, like after Patricia made that comment and was like, hey, like this is him just being him. He's trying to do this. He's trying to get this out of you. Like just, you know, be, be cool, be good. And that's something that you look up and down this team. They got rid of Devon Kennard. They got rid of Quandre Diggs, who was another leader in that locker room. Where are the leaders at? Who are the leaders going to be? You hope that maybe you get one like Desmond Trufant, who's immediately ready to step up and, and, and take on that role or something like that. But that's another incongruity I see between Patricia and his effectiveness and his measurements. And the one last thing I'll say before you get into your rant is I'm not about bowing to the altar of winning in the face of creating a toxic culture or a culture that champions or even accepts the things that Matt Patricia said. Like, I'm not interested in rooting for an organization that would allow that to be perpetuated throughout their organization because as much as football and professional football is about winning games and success and things like that, the NFL is also trying to do a lot of good in other, in other ways too. And it's, it's just unacceptable for a, a billion dollar league to let this, to let this happen. You're right. And I want to talk a lot about the other side, the, the line in the sand that some of the people have jumped in. I want to address those people because I understand this is nothing new for Matt Patricia. This is an argument that we've already had several times over with some of the other players that have said some of the similar comments. I mean, in a lot of places, a lot of arguments I've seen online, it comes down to one of two things. You either think the players are soft and what Matt Patricia doing is necessary to change the culture, to become a a more hard-nosed football team that, you know, is is being held accountable, is getting all the players that that can't take criticism, that can't take, you know, everything hard-nosed that is the NFL and and shouldn't be on the team and building whatever that is. Or you think Matt Patricia has crossed a line. He's lost the respect of a lot of good players and by proxy has seen a lot of good players leave here, has probably not seen some good players come in. I I saw Dave Burkett even said he talked to an agent who said one client wouldn't come here because of things that um, he heard about Matt Patricia. But to the people from other players, from other from other players. Yeah. Um, But to the people who think that this is just how football is, this is football culture. You're wrong. I'm sorry. Maybe that's what football used to be. But the culture in this country is changing. Certain things are becoming more inappropriate. Certain things, certain kind of behavior in the workplace is no longer acceptable. And whether you think that's a softening country or softening of the country that's unacceptable or not, that's the reality. That's what this country is now. People do not like to be disrespected publicly, whether it's with a homophobic tige or, or whatever. You can't say that sort of things to people anymore. I personally think that's a good thing. I understand a lot of people don't think that's a good thing, but that is reality. And if you have a head coach that cannot accept that reality, that cannot accept to today's America, today's workplace environment, then he needs to go. And I'm not calling for Matt Patricia to get fired. I'm willing to to wait this out. I understand that he has gotten better, and Darius Slade admitted he has gotten better. 
I'm not convinced that he has changed. You may have gotten better, but have you changed fundamentally? I don't think so. You look at Quandre Diggs this year. That happened four months, five months ago. That's not change. You, you look at every single person this team has ostracized over the past two years, Glover Quinn, uh, uh, Quandre Diggs, David Slay, Damon Harrison said he wanted to go. Now, he said he respected Matt Patricia, but he said it wasn't a good fit. Even, I even saw Golden Tate sniping at this, at this administration last night. Yeah. Now, you can say all these guys, again, they didn't fit the culture they need to go. But that's a lot of talent. A lot of, good, just talking, lot of good players. We're not talking about Hakeem Valez, who also spoke out about, about this team. We're talking about the, the best players this team has seen in a decade, all going out, all saying, this team was not for me. This culture is not for me. This isn't how it's supposed to be done today. Yeah. That's also not to discredit the Hakeem Velez's of the world or even the, for sure. you know, you know, the, the players who aren't of as great talent. But I think the overall point you're more so trying to make right is that isn't, isn't there some point in time where you have to say, this is not just a blip on the radar. Like this is a right. trend. Right. And the most recent trend, let's, let's read another one. Cause another, some people were curious about what I was talking about with carry on Johnson. Garrett Hudson, who was a guy who was a tight end that came in for the Lions for a rookie tryout. Again, same level of Hakeem Velez was never a big part of this team, but he goes, he talks about Matt. He says, quote, Matt Patricia is literally the worst person I've encountered in my entire football career. I was excited when the Lions cut me. It was that bad. Then he goes on to tell a story about how he embarrassed carry on Johnson, chewed him out in front of everyone because he didn't know when Ford field was established. Now, you throw that into Patricia and this gang not liking jersey swaps, weird things like that, weird restrictions, taking away the ping pong table, not allowing social media. It's clear to me that Matt Patricia is not good at connecting with today's youth, and that's a huge problem. You can be tough. You can be tough on your players. You don't have to be uh, a Jim Caldwell where you're, you're a player's guy and, quote-unquote, no one's being held accountable. I still don't know what that term actually means, but that's something people like to throw around when a team is bad, but the, the coach is nice. Is saying, you're not keeping people accountable. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Sure, I'll let you have it, though. But when you look at Matt Patricia, when you look at everything that's happening, you, you can be a tough-nosed, cor- uh, a tough-nosed leader without crossing that line of being disrespectful. You don't have to publicly embarrass your players in front of his peers. You don't have to say homophobic sexual things that people are very sensitive about that sort of thing. And it's completely inappropriate. And crossing that inappropriate line is to me very close to the last straw. Well, well, let's take somebody who is even a former lion himself, didn't play at all, but came in and Jeff Schwartz, he talked about it on Twitter too, because there was one person who asked him how, how common or uncommon is it to hear stuff like this from coaches? And Schwartz said, it's uncommon. And that he said, I played with six head coaches. None of them said anything remotely close to what Slay or what Michael Irvin said, according to DeAndre Hopkins have told Patricia have told us Patricia and O'Brien have said to them, I couldn't even imagine any of them saying those things. And that's why when I hear people say, Ooh, my high school coach taught, said that said that said much worse than me well guess what there's probably a reason that guy's teaching head coach 
He's he's a head coach in hey, in hey, high school. Hey, I'm hey, sorry, hey, in high school. Hey, 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 me too. Easy, easy. Sorry. but no, no, no. What, what I, the, the 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 I think the the big point. Like somebody did the same thing with me. They're like, well, my high school coach motivated motivated me like that. What should have happened to him? And I was like, I don't know. Probably got fired. Right. Like they're they're not on. as and also let's be clear and not to say a high school co- coach isn't a professional business, but NFL head coach is a profession. These oh, players totally are not different. young teens. These guys are adults in a working environment. You cannot compare apples to oranges here. Your high school coach was a dick. Matt Patricia is not <laughs> allowed to be a dick on the level that apparently he, and, and let's be clear. This is only Darius Slay's side of the story. Um, it yeah. was corroborated by some other players, according to ESPN's Michael Rothstein. But um, I mean, if, if your high school coach is, is talking shit to you, then he's probably not going to leave from being a high school head coach because that stuff doesn't fly with adults. It doesn't. And it shouldn't. Oh, I mean, those coaches you see in football now, a few points I want to make that are really good. So like you see football coaches like that bounce around from like team to team from district to district now, because that old school mentality does not fly anymore in today's culture and climate because it's unacceptable because it's demeaning. And I, I would even maybe more so make the argument or the case that like, a high school head coach's responsibility to adhere to people's individuality might be even more important than an NFL head coach. They're both wrong, but like, I mean, let's talk about like amateur teens who are trying to just like figure out their way through life versus, you know, professional athletes. But the, the other thing that was really interesting um, was what you, what you said about uh, the story being corroborated by mm-hmm. so many other players um, but Justin Rogers brought up a really good point on Twitter talking about how much Patricia has tried to like implement this idea of like team history and team culture, going back to the things that, you know, you know, quizzing carry on Johnson on, um, it just seems it, it, it smacks so much of like old school football mentality that I think just. A lot of these younger players, they're not, they're, they're not interested in. And like I said, whether you agree with what the what players are becoming in the NFL, which is more self-aware of their own power, more self-confident, you want to call it diva, you want to call it, you know, drama or whatever, that's the reality in, in today's NFL. And you look at some other head coaches around the league and they're able to to harness that talent, harness those personalities and let them be who they are, whether it's Pete Carroll, I would say even Andy Reid is good at it. If you want to talk about a Super Bowl winner, Sean McVay lets these guys talk or whatever. It's changing. And hey. Matt Patricia needs to catch up. And and I know there are some people out there that are screaming, second year, he was a lot better. You're right. He was a lot better. But again, I'm going to say that better doesn't mean changed yet. And I need to see more evidence that he's completely changed because this needs to be a complete change in how he re- interacts with his players. Um, maybe he fractured his relationship with, with Darius Slate, but hopefully he didn't with, you know, rookies or, or guys that they're bringing in. But to me, the biggest evidence that maybe he hasn't changed is looking at the guys he's getting. He's yeah. tapping that Patriots well, not just because there's a lot of talented players on that defense, but he knows they're going to fall in line. And that's fine as long as you're continuing to get talented players. But are the lines continuing to get talented players? I don't know because they're limiting their search right now to guys they know will fall in line. And like I said, the Quandre Diggs thing is only four months in the, in the rear view. It's not that long ago when he decided that Quandre Diggs, a guy who they gave an extension to who 
Quandre Diggs, despite everything that happened in that 2018 offseason and training camp, he's like, you know what? I will still sign an extension with this team because I'm, I, I like this team. I'm a leader in this locker room. He still managed in 2019 to, to push Quandre Diggs out the door for whatever reason. Quandre Diggs, to his credit, has been pretty quiet about any sort of specific incidents. But to me, I don't see change yet. I see improvement, not change. And you're right, the Detroit Island change doesn't doesn't happen overnight, but he's running out of time. This team is nine and twenty-two and one. If 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 you don't change who you are as a person and the wins don't come, how can you justify bringing this guy back? You can't. And the last thing I want to say on it is I want to address Slade because Slade does not come out here looking perfect. The fact that he allowed something in 2018 to fracture his relationship with Darius Slay to a point where, you know, there are rumors out there. There's a, a, a someone inside the Lions organization who decided to say anonymous um, due to not being able to, to speak on the situation says that Darius Slay became distant. He became a slacker. He became a cancer to the team. He stopped paying attention in meetings. He talked shit about the, the coaching staff. If that's true, that's a problem on Slay. And I still fault, Matt Patricia for for poisoning the well. It's his job to keep these players motivated, to keep them believing in his message. But Darius Slay has some personal responsibility to take here too. And so if that's true, if he didn't play, if he didn't try his hardest off the field and we saw him regress a little bit, probably more pronounced than than in actual happened, if than what actually happened, then Darius Slay deserves some some criticism here. No one here looks comes out looking good at all. I think Matt Patricia comes out looking way, way, way worse. But Darius Slade does deserve a little bit of criticism too. And ultimately, ultimately, there's no real reason to napalm Alan Park on his way out either. Other than a personal vendetta, which he clearly had. Yeah, I don't think so either. But the interesting thing about that is that this is like the one lasting member of that prior regime's cornerbacks. I mean, now it's Amani Arorier and Justin Coleman and Desmond Trufant, like, these are all truly Patricia's guys, Tracy Walker, Will Harris. These are all Patricia guys. So now it seems like Darius Slay might be that final exodus of, you know, that Jim Caldwell era when, I mean, for as much as we discredit the Jim Caldwell era and say that, you know, he plateaued, maybe, maybe he did plateau. There are a lot of things, you know, don't want to look back with rose colored glasses, but like there are a lot of things that we disagreed with Jim Jim Caldwell on in terms of coaching, in terms of roster construction and things like that. But I mean, the guy was a player-friendly coach who people wanted to play for. And that's just one of the things that doesn't exist now in Detroit. So like taking it all the way back to what you said initially, Jeremy, like it's tough when this isn't an entertaining product. It's tough when you have players who are leaving and leaving in the fashion in which Darius Slay left. And then on top of that, you're not winning games either. Because like you said, they're 9-22-1. And, and, and look at the players that left too. Like Glover Quinn play was was playing at some of his worst football when he left. So yeah. was Quandre Diggs, and and Darius Slay had a down year. Why do you think that is? Now with with, with maybe Glover Quinn, he was towards the end of his career. But yeah, I I still yeah I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I don't buy those guys immediately falling off a cliff. Right. I mean it, it it's a trend here. Yeah, they're, they're losing motivation. 
They're, I mean, and, and ultimately just comes down to coaching. You're, you're mm-hmm. here not just to keep spirits high, but keep the field, the, the play on the field at its highest level. And with some of the best players that this team sent going, they play, they were playing some of the worst football before they left. And, and maybe yeah. that's on them. Maybe that's on Patricia, but clearly something is not working right now between those guys. Now, someone asked in, in the Twitch chat here, is there anything positive that comes from Patricia's hard nose coaching style? And I'm going to be honest and say, yes, there probably is. There are people that get motivated in different ways. A guy like Danny Amendola, I'm sure, loves it. He loves the punishment. He's a guy that's all football all the time, all work all the time. And and yes, that's great when you get players like that that can that can take that sort of beating or criticism or whatever you want to call it and and push themselves harder. But that's just not how everyone works. And so you'll get certain guys that, that respond from for them from that kind of hard-nosed coaching style and you'll get guys that push back as your your job as a head coach as any sort of leader a boss in any sort of business is to be able to reach everybody and so if you want to give some guys the stick you give some guys the stick if you want to give some guys the carrot you give some guys the carrot you just have to know which one to give each and maybe patricia's learning maybe he's getting better at it but i'm not convinced he's changed yet and that's all I got to say. Yeah. I, the, the final thing that I wanted to mention is that while we are more so because we're tuned into Twitter and we're not reading the whole articles <laughs> because that's just what this uh, quarantine has done to all of us. Like Patricia did get a chance to respond and he came out with this very canned, you know, Darius and I have had multiple private conversations that I thought were satisfactory and constructive but those conversations are private because, you know, they he happen in team choice. meetings. He didn't have a choice. What is he going to put? He's going to put a hit job on Slay on his way out? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think, I don't think Patricia by any means could have, like, punched back. Right. But I think it would almost be better for him to take the true Bill Belichick route and just, like, ignore it. Maybe. Maybe it would have served him better. And maybe... The rest of free agency will serve the Lions better. But we will talk about all that this upcoming weekend on Sunday when we do our full POD cast. We might even bring a guest because we're going to talk about everything that happened. We're going to put the Slay stuff aside because a lot of, I mean, the Lions have made a lot of moves. They've signed seven guys. They've traded for another. The big picture is starting to come together and there is some positive things. We're going to get all into that on our pod, our regular one hour POD cast that's coming in a few days. But for now, thank you for joining us. You guys all stay safe out there and we'll see you this weekend. (laughs) 